if we'd like to consider the whole area of prayer. Our confession and catechisms teach us that prayer, along with the Word of God, is a means of grace. It is a channel by which God brings to us that grace. See, grace does not fall out of heaven in a void. God channels His grace to us through His ordained means. And if we're not practicing those means of grace, we will not enjoy God's grace in our life to overcome the temptations, the sins, to grant us comfort to live the Christian life. It's like taking a hammer and just knocking that pipeline out when we cease to pray. Many congregations or many individuals that I have been with or seen whom are very articulate in the Word of God, who know their theology backwards and forwards, I think especially need to be careful not to neglect this means of grace. The more that we accumulate knowledge of God's Word, the more that we begin to be able to synthesize and, and uh, understand the doctrines that God reveals to us, the more we need the grace of God, the more we need His Spirit communicated to us through prayer to be able to appropriate the doctrine that we are learning. Otherwise, we become very heady. Otherwise, we become very lopsided, very narrow-minded. We need God's means of grace. We need His prayer. We cannot forsake the reading of His Word, the studying of His Word, God forbid. But neither can we forsake the other means of grace. For it is even the means of grace of prayer that the Spirit has communicated to us so that we can understand aright what God is saying to us in His Word. What God has said in His Word. We find Paul saying in 1 Corinthians, Chapter 2, that if these are spiritual words, they, are, they have spiritual understanding, that the Spirit enlightens our minds and understanding, and so we need uh, prayer. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the greatest needs within the church today, along with understanding doctrine, along with being pure in worship, is that we do not simply go through the motions but that we are lit by the fire of God, that we have an understanding by through the means of prayer, that the Spirit of God is convicting us and leading us and guiding us. I have talked to, again, to many, many people who I think are very theologically sound, but just do not have a heart for people. They're insensitive to people's needs. I mean, if you ask them any theological question, uh, they could tell you where to go in the Bible and they could find it for you. But their hearts are like stone when it comes to ministering to people, caring for people, evangelizing people. They don't have a love for people. Why? I can almost guarantee you that they have little or no prayer life. And when they do pray, it's probably very mechanical, very rote. We need to learn, dear ones, how to pray with a tireless sense of urgency when we go to God in prayer. We need to have that sense that what we're doing when we bow before God is important business and there is nothing more important in all of the earth than what we are doing when we pray to the Almighty God. We plan, we work, we fret until we're nearly dead. And then we think, oh yeah, I should have been praying about this particular situation, shouldn't I? You know, our feet kind of get way ahead of us here. We need the rest of our body needs to catch up with the feet. Well, that's the way it is sometimes. We get so active that we need to get things done that we forget we pray to plan. 
We plan to pray. If we're going to be making plans, we even pray over those plans we're going to be making. Have you noticed at times, as I have in your own prayer life, that sometimes uh, you get uh, alone with the Lord in your prayer closet and uh, you begin to pray for needs with no more sense of urgency than you would ask somebody to pass the uh, salt or the pepper to you from the other end of the table? It's just very... uh, Uh, impotent with regard to zeal with regard to uh, uh, urgency many times I've noticed that in my own walk with the Lord dear Christian is God waiting is God waiting to answer your prayers until you reach the place that you are desperately needy before God And that you must absolutely have His help rather than merely desire to have His help. Lazy, cold, formal praying will not obtain answers to your prayers from the hand of the Lord. You can guarantee it. I can guarantee it and God has said so. Prayer must be fervent, it must be persistent, and it must be urgent. And that's not to imply that the ground of answered prayer is something subjective to us. God doesn't answer prayer on the basis of who I am, but on the basis of who Christ is. Christ is always the foundation because He has died for me and because He intercedes for me at God's right hand. That is the ground for answered prayer. And we must never ever take our eyes off of the Lord. But when we realize that, when we realize that the Lord is our righteousness, when we realize that He is our great high priest, there is a confidence, not in ourselves, but there is a confidence to approach God and to pray fervently. And in fact, when you realize that, you wouldn't want to be any place else than in the presence of God in prayer. But God does, I believe, use the subjective uh, part of our being He does use fervency and persistence and urgency as a means of answering our prayers because He wants us to to believe. That's a part of genuine faith, being fervent. It's a part of genuine faith, sensing an urgency when you come before God in prayer. That's what faith calls forth within us. And so when we look at Luke chapter 1, or Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and we see that on this particular occasion, a disciple of Jesus asked the Lord a very unusual question. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. very unusual question because Jewish boys began Hebrew school at a very early age and studied the Torah, the law. They studied those religious activities necessary to lead their own families in worship when they would uh, themselves become married and have children and, and a wife. They learned various prayers for various occasions. But yet, something that this disciple that comes to Jesus here, are these disciples, something they heard and saw in the prayers of Jesus made them think that they really didn't know how to pray at all. I think we'd all be in the same position to hear Christ pray. 
would probably make us go back to our ABCs and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so that's not a bad request at all, is it? We all need to be in that place. Lord, teach me to pray. We need to put ourselves as little children and say, God, start from scratch with me, as it were, and teach me the very foundations of prayer. Teach me what it means to call out to you. What a blessing it must have been to be within the hearing of our Lord's prayer. I can guarantee you something, though we don't have all of the words of Christ's prayers. We do have in John chapter 17 a very lengthy prayer of Christ. But I can guarantee you Christ's prayers were not cold or formal. A mere going through the motions. One was ushered, I'm sure, into the very presence of God upon hearing Christ pray. And in answer to this disciple's request, the Lord teaches his disciples how to pray, first of all, by giving them a pattern of prayer, as we find in verses 2 through 4, which we call the Lord's Prayer. If you, as we will be doing in the future, uh, we'll be going through each of these petitions and looking at them closely. But if you are to uh, follow, if you were to follow each of these petitions, and uh, you could spend hours, literally hours in prayer uh, before God's face. There's so much in those brief petitions. And then the Lord also, in verses 5 through 13, then gives to this disciple and all of his disciples the attitude that his disciples should have as they approach God in prayer. Not only the content, but the attitude as well. And that's the area that I'd like to focus with you upon this Lord's Day, is that attitude, a sense of urgency. These really speak of very gracious affections that God works within the heart of one who believes and trusts in Christ. And we begin with the affection that we find, that gracious affection in verse 9, first of all. And Jesus says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. And then in verse 10, he completes that particular thought, for everyone who asks, receives. Ask, and it will be given to you, for everyone who asks, receives everyone no exceptions Lord everyone who asks receives well that's what Jesus said similar to John 14 13 where Jesus says and whatever you ask in my name that I will do We must understand as we look at this particular petition that uh, uh, the condition for asking, the condition for asking is one in which we find in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For every particular promise that God gives, there is a covenantal condition for us to meet. Now, God sovereignly establishes His covenant with people, but to enjoy the blessings of the covenant that God has given, we must be faithful and obey the terms of that covenant. And so, God has given us this wondrous promise. Ask, and it will be given to you. Do you believe that? That's what God said. For everyone who asks, receives. In James chapter 4, let's consider what the Lord says with regard to this matter of asking. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? 
You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Okay? The Lord is saying the same thing. You don't have because you don't ask. So he wants us to ask. But let's continue. You ask and do not receive. So there is some kind of asking in prayer, which here the Lord says, you do not receive. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. The Lord says through James, even when you do ask, you don't receive what you request because you seek to glorify yourself through your asking, not to glorify me. Now, that doesn't mean that we cannot ask for personal things. But as we'll see, even in asking for the personal things, we should be asking for them in order that we might glorify God rather than simply benefit ourselves. The Lord uh, goes on in verse 4 through James when he says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, here's the problem. The Lord says, when you ask and you don't receive, it's because you are asking for your own selfishness. You have become a friend of the world in that particular area. You need to recognize where you're coming from at that point. The Lord says in verse 5, Or do you think that the scriptures... The scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the Lord says, humble yourselves under his mighty hand and he will exalt you. And so we need to ask ourselves in regard to praying. Do we seek to glorify man? Do we seek to glorify self? Or are we seeking God's glory in what we pray for? In like manner, uh, not moving on yet to the next petition or the next uh, promise that God gives in uh, uh, Luke 11, let me also mention to you that the Lord says in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, that we must pray according to His will. Verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we, we have asked of Him. And so we find again how closely knit together uh, is the study of God's Word. For how are we to know the will of God? How are we to know if we're praying according to God's will if we are not indeed aware of what God says to us in His Word? And that not only pertains to asking according to God's will in regard to the, the end product, the goals which we would seek from God, for example, I think it's very uh, blessed. Uh, it's a godly prayer to pray that God will build His church here in Edmonton. But when we pray for such a thing, we must be praying for the means of reaching that goal as well. Those means must be as biblical and righteous and holy as the goal is. And so if we go out and we try to draw in a crowd in order to build the church of Jesus Christ here in Edmonton, 
by uh, uh, putting up balloons and handing out uh, uh, lollipops to children who are passing by, or a dollar bill, inviting them into the building. And then once they get in here, we, we, we put on a great show for them. That's not building the kingdom of God in the way that God has indicated. There is not a consistency between the goal and the means. See, the word of God teaches, shall we do evil that good may come? God forbid. Does the good end that we're praying for justify any means to reach that end? God forbid. Recently, we, we heard of a, again, of an abortionist uh, who was shot in, in the States. And though there may be some who believe that such measures are, are biblical, certainly the goal of seeing abortion ended should be something for which we continuously pray that God would destroy uh, such laws that would allow that to go on. But the means by which we achieve those goals must as well be biblical. We cannot take matters into our own hands. In 2 Kings chapter 8, Elisha had to do a very, very difficult thing. As he went to Damascus, the prophet Elisha, King Ben-Hadad of Assyria was ill and asked his right-hand man, Hazael, to go to the prophet of God and ask the prophet of God whether he would be delivered from his illness. And as Hazael brought this word and asked the question, Shall I recover from this disease? On behalf of Ben-Hadad, Elisha told him that he would not die as a result of the disease, that he would recover from the disease, but yet he would die. Well, we see how that works out later on in the account. Hazael himself uh, smothers Ben-Hadad. He dies and Hazael becomes the king. But notice what happens in verse 11, verses 11 and 12. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. Elisha wept. And Hazael said, Why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. And their young men you will kill with a sword. And notice, And you will dash their children and rip open the women, their women with child. Elisha knew by the word of God that Hazael was going to destroy children and rip open the wombs of women to destroy children. Now, why didn't Elisha take a spear or a sword and end this man's life in order to save the lives of all of those children that he could have saved right on the spot? Well, see, things must be done in God's way. Elisha did not have the power of the sword to take into his hands as a private citizen. And so, the illustration simply is here that our goals must be biblical. And when we pray for biblical goals, that's great. But we also must be sure that we are praying for biblical means to reach those goals. Not any particular way that we would choose to end abortion is necessarily righteous. There are godly ways to achieve that. And God will destroy abortion. God will be victorious. But God will do it in His own way. And He will use us. 
to accomplish it as well, but not through means which he does not warrant. Well, does this mean that we cannot ask God then in prayer to meet uh, our personal needs, as I mentioned earlier? For example, one of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer is, Give us this day our daily bread. Obviously, then we are to pray for our daily needs, but you are to ask for your daily needs to be met. Why? In order that God might be glorified through you, that you might have the strength, the capacity and ability to serve Him. Again, meeting our needs is not an end in itself. It is simply a means to an end to glorify God. And when we forget that in prayer, we begin offering very selfish prayers. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things God promises to add unto us. And so the Lord says, Ask for God's glory, not your own. Ask according to His will and not according to your own. And one last thing about that point that I would add before we move on. Uh, I'm convinced God is not going to answer your prayers or mine if you simply want to know God's will in a matter. If you are willing to do God's will, God will answer those prayers. If you're willing to do whatever God leads you to do through His Word, by His Spirit, if you are already obeying God in the things He has revealed to you, God will answer prayer. You will have what you have asked for because your thoughts will be aligned with God's will and you will be acting in obedience already to what God calls you to do. Why should God reveal His will to any of us in an area when we're not already obeying God in the areas we're all, we, we know of? Ask, and it will be given to you. The Lord says, For everyone who asks, receives. Uh, Secondly, the Lord moves on and he says, Seek, and you will find. And he who seeks, finds. This is the second motive for gracious affection that the Lord, I believe, wants us to have in our time of prayer with him. You know, we live in a very impatient age, don't we? We become very accustomed to service. And when we don't get the service we expect, immediately we become very, very upset about that. Uh, We have ready tellers. You know, we go up and we drive through and we get the cash. We don't even have to deal with a person anymore to get money. We have... uh, Uh, In churches, uh, instant type of growth, church growth movement, Uh, it's success oriented. You know, you do this and these are the immediate benefits, immediate gratification that you get from doing this. We've not learned by God's word that we are to be patient, persistent. Even it takes a long time that we will do it God's way, patiently. Each of these verbs that are used, ask, seek, and knock, in verses 9 through 10, are in the present tense, which indicates that these are are actions that are to be continual, persistent actions. You are to ask and to keep on asking. You are to seek and you are to keep on seeking. You are to knock and you are to keep on knocking. The Lord says, Well, how badly, dear ones, do you really need that for which you are petitioning God? How badly? Badly enough to mention it uh, once a month in passing to God? 
badly enough to mention it uh, once a week when you come to church? How badly, how urgent is that need that you bring before God? The covenant condition that needs to be met by you in seeking so that you find that for which you seek is to be persistent, to persevere in prayer. Don't give up. Don't throw in the spiritual towel. But pray, the Lord says, without ceasing. Now, I don't think that that means... Personally, I don't think that the proper interpretation is that we are to... I mean, there's nothing wrong. Certainly, we should keep a mental attitude of praying throughout the day. But I think in that particular context, the Lord is saying, continue to persevere. Whatever you're praying about, pray without ceasing. Persevere in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. The same concept as Paul gives in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, continue earnestly in prayer. The Lord gives us a, uh, a parable in verses 5 through 8 about a friend who has gone to bed and uh, taken his family to bed. Uh, and uh, a neighbor of his comes and knocks on the door well after uh, the lights have gone out. And he says, some people that I didn't expect have come and, and are now in my home. And, you know, it was a great disgrace in that particular society not to be a gracious host and to have food to, to, to lay before them when they arrived, to give them some uh, nourishment, some refreshment. And he was caught off guard. And so this was to save face to not be shamed in that particular society. This was a very urgent need. And he goes and he begins pounding on the door of his neighbor. And the neighbor says, Go away, leave me alone. We've already gone to bed. But you see, here's where persistence comes in. He doesn't allow the fact that his, that his neighbor told him to leave him alone. He doesn't allow that to stop his persistence and his knocking at the door. He continues to, to seek that food until the neighbor says, All right, all right, you'll wear me out. I will never be able to get any sleep if I don't come down and give you what you ask. And obviously... Uh, the point that's being made here is not that uh, God does not delight to give us what is good for us. It's illustrating the point of persistence, as he says in verse 8. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as much as he needs. So that's the issue. I'm reminded also... of the account of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. This whole issue of persistence. You'll remember the account when Elijah on Mount Carmel won a mighty victory through God's power. God sent the, the fire from heaven to consume his sacrifice before the priests of Baal. And Elijah says, why should these men be alive? So you see the king was standing there as well, King Ahab. The leaders of Israel were there. And Elijah says, these men should be put to death. They're false prophets. And off they went and they put them to death. But after that particular victory there was still something that needed to be done. There had been a drought for three and a half years. No rain. And now it was time for God to send the rain. And so Elijah goes to the top of the mountain. And he bows down on the ground in verse 42 of chapter 18. And he puts his face between his knees and said to a servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. 
So he went up and looked and he said, There is nothing. No clouds. Nothing coming. Clear blue skies as far as he could see. And yet he was praying that God would send rain as he promised. Well, Elijah just threw in the towel and quit at that point and says, I guess God you know, doesn't want to answer my prayer, right? No, that's not what he did. Verse 44, Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, so six times before, he had sent this particular, this particular servant and said, see if there's anything out there. The seventh time now they've come to. No rain, not even a cloud in the sky. But Elijah perseveres in prayer. He says, after the seventh time, is there anything? There's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. A speck. Looks about that big, Elijah. But God was beginning to work through his perseverance. His faith. See, faith perseveres, dear ones. Do not give up. Seek and you will find, the Lord says. Seek and you will find. And if we might be tempted to say, well, that was Elijah. He was a prophet of God. Of course he could pray that way. And God would hear his prayers. Well, we are caught in our steps, rebuked if that's our attitude, when we come to James chapter 5, when we read in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. A man of like nature. That's what God says. Did not give up. How many times God answers prayer one minute before midnight? As it seems. But so many of us have stopped praying two minutes before midnight. We've given up. And we have not seen many of the answers to prayer because we have failed to persevere in prayer. For loved ones that you have prayed fervently to come to Christ. Uh, for neighbors who uh, make it impossible to live next to, to pray that God will change their hearts. For seemingly impossible situations, uh, for work, for the blessing upon our marriages to change the hearts of wives or husbands or children. God changes hearts, dear ones. Do not give up. Persevere in prayer. And I just remind you the passage I read uh, as we went to prayer this morning, or this afternoon, Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7, where God says, Give me no rest till I make Jerusalem uh, peace in all the earth. Give me no rest. God tells us, do not stop praying. If it's a godly desire, continue to pray. And finally, ask, and it will be given to you, for everyone who asks, receives. Seek, and you will find. And he who seeks, finds. Well, I tell you, if those aren't encouraging words to God's people, that God says those things to us. Finally, he says, knock and it will be opened to you. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. It doesn't say, and it might be opened. It says, it will be opened. It will. See, these are commands of God that come to us. They're not options. 
So you're not you're you're not given the alternative your option. Well, I can I can uh, ask uh, uh, according to my own pleasures, or I can ask according to God's will, or I can seek uh, God's will uh, with uh, little uh, interest, with kind of a mechanical going through the motions, or I can seek persistently and continuously and persevere. God says those are commands to do so. And when we don't do so, we are sinning against God and we need to repent and turn from that sin in our lives. The covenantal condition, dear ones, to be met in your knocking at the very gates of heaven, at the throne of grace, is urgency. Is urgency. You must have the attitude, I, Lord, have a desperate need for wisdom in this situation. I need courage, God, to stand before man and not to fear man. Lord, we cannot possibly meet this month's bills. This is urgent. Lord, there is a lack of love in my heart for my wife, for my husband, for my children. I need that love. I must have that love. Lord, I need patience. I just fly off the handle. I need to learn to wait upon you. Because as we read this morning from Isaiah chapter 40, that those who wait upon the Lord, the Lord promises, He will renew their strength. He promises, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. To wait upon God, not to be impatient but to be urgent as well. God declares in Jeremiah 29:13, "And you will seek me and will find me when you search for me with all your heart." Not some kind of half-hearted knocking at the door, not a little tap at the door, "Lord, are you there? You remember me? God, it's me again. I come in the name of Christ, your beloved Son, and I ask you, Lord, to meet this need in His name. David certainly portrays that throughout the Psalms, doesn't he? When he prays, there's a sense of urgency in his prayers. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, he says in prayer. He cries out to God. One of my favorite accounts, I think, that illustrates this point of urgency is Matthew 15. It's the account of the woman of Canaan who has a daughter who's severely demon-possessed. And she comes to the Lord Jesus who had... uh, uh, begun a ministry outside of Israel in Sidon, the Tyre and Sidon area. And so she was not a daughter of the covenant. She was not a part of Israel. But she comes to the Lord. She sees Him. She believes in Him. She knows what He has done in the lives of so many people. It has encouraged her faith in God. That she comes to Him and says, Lord, Son of David, Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now we might expect the Lord to immediately, right there on the spot, say, your daughter's healed. But follow with me very briefly how the Lord deals with this so as to indicate the urgency of faith that was present in this woman's heart. But he answered her not a word. When she, asked, when she said, Have mercy on me, Lord. 
He answered her not a word. Well, you know, perhaps had it been me, and I had asked the Lord, uh, you know, of that kind of a, a, a question, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, will you please heal my daughter? I probably would have said, well, gee, you know, I, uh, I just don't know that I should be here. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have asked him in the first place. Uh, did, I, you know, did I do everything exactly right? Uh, I would have been discouraged, perhaps. Maybe I wouldn't even try it a second time. Notice this woman. His disciples came and urged him because she was continuing to come to him. His disciples urged him saying, Send her away for she cries out after us. She's calling out, crying out because of the urgency of this need she has. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Boy, I'll tell you, if not answering me, would have discouraged me if he would have said I'm only sent to the, the lost house of Israel who are you? you're from Canaan I didn't come you know for you now, obviously God is testing Christ is testing her faith at this point will she become so discouraged and just throw in the towel and say well God doesn't want to, to do this uh, this is it notice what she does she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. I'm out the door by the time this happens. I'm gone. I'm a dog, okay? And I can't take the bread and give it to dogs. That's not proper to do. The children are the who sit around the table are the household of Israel. They're the covenant people. But you're not a part of them. You're not identified physically with them. You've not been brought into that covenant relationship. And she said, True, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She wasn't going to give up because there was an urgent need. Lord, I'm a little dog, but Lord, give me even a crumb and I'll be happy with that. Show me mercy. And Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. That's the kind of urgency that God delights to see in our praying. That's the kind of persistence God wants to see as we approach Him. Because that's saying, God, you alone can meet this need. You alone are all-powerful. If this rests in my hands, nothing will occur. I cannot handle this in my own strength. If two men, if you were an employer and, and two men were to come for, to you inquiring about a job that you had opened and you were advertising in the paper concerning and all things being equal in the qualifications of these men One comes and he says, I sure would like to have this job. It would be nice to have this job. Uh, it, you know, I'd be able to get a few more things uh, than what I, what I presently have. But there was no sense of urgency in his tone. But a second man were to come and say, I must have this job. I cannot live without this job. Whose request are you going to answer? The one who is most urgent. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger 
and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled those who recognize that they will die without the food that God gives and that food his righteousness is what they want they will be filled with that righteousness so dear ones what is your attitude in your knocking is it a no big deal God kind of attitude I can take it or leave it or is it rather Lord hear my cry I'm starving and I must have food I must have what only you can give to me and the final point that I want to make this Lord's Day concerning this text is found in verses 11 through 13 where Christ summarizes the whole thing when you pray with those holy affections dear ones you can be assured when you pray seeking according to God's will when you ask I'm sorry ask according to God's will you seek persistently and you knock urgently with those gracious affections working within your soul you can be assured that whatever God gives you is good whatever God gives you then is good it is good for you the Lord says if a son ask for bread from any father among you will he give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent instead of a fish or if he asks for an egg will he offer him a scorpion if you then being evil know how good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him see this is a question that tests the very foundations of our faith isn't it for we think to ourselves Lord what if you give to me when I pray for a loved one to be healed what if they die what if you take my wife or my child or my husband from me when I've prayed for their for their uh, health to be restored what if in praying God for financial success rather you give to us complete poverty financial hardships what if we have a rebellious child what if my spouse is unfaithful to me how can that be a good gift that tests our faith that gets to the very essence of trusting God and believing him and taking him at his word I suppose Christ's prayer in the garden Gethsemane Lord take this cup from me what I'm about to endure as to being a man it's overwhelming did God answer his prayer? he did by giving him the grace to endure what he had to go through when Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that the thorn in the flesh would be removed from him did God answer that prayer? He did, by giving him the grace to endure that particular situation to the glory of God. And God will give you, dear ones, the grace to endure whatever he brings into your life. God's promise has always been and still is no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly not even one good thing and so you can be assured 
And when you ask the Father for bread, He won't give you a stone. When you ask for a fish, He won't give you a serpent. When you ask for an egg, He won't give you a scorpion. He will give you the best gift. He will give you His Spirit. He will give you Himself. Is there a better gift that God could give than to give Himself to us? Mere creatures. God, the infinite God, gives His entire being to us. He gave His Son to die for us. He gives His Spirit to strengthen us. He gives Himself to us. No good thing will He... If He has given us, dear ones, Himself, you can be assured that He will not withhold any other good thing from you. And so, in conclusion, ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, and keep on knocking. That God will give all those good things to this church to the families in this church for the purpose that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be fruitful throughout this area and throughout the whole world to the end that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the entire earth will fill the earth even as the waters cover the seas let's pray Our Father, we ask you to forgive us. For Lord, we have seen, even through your words, how we have failed in our time of prayer with you, whether in private or whether in public worship. Lord, we see how we have not prayed according to your will, Uh, We have not prayed according to your glory, but rather according to our own will and desires. We see, Lord, that we have also not been persistent in our prayers. That we have given up many times. That, Lord, we have approached prayer as if it were no big deal. We have even been so enraptured with prayer at times that we have fallen asleep while praying like the disciples. When temptation was lurking, waiting to overthrow us. Oh God, give us a sense of urgency. Let our lives be filled with prayer and praise to you. Lord, let this be the beginning of a mighty time of revival in our lives, our families, our church as well. As we approach your throne of grace with those gracious and holy affections which you have commanded of us to bring and which are pleasing in your sight. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. 
The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.